are continuing in our series on Bible basics, kind of. <laughs> I mean, kind of, because uh, we're going a little bit out of order this morning. Uh, last week, Pete preached on sin and the fall, so the next topic that would logically come in our series would be the covenant. But Pete's going to tackle that topic, so I got to pick something else. And I got uh, offered up to pick whatever I want. And the topic that I picked is a topic that was, this uh, quote was more fully in, the, in your bulletin. It's from J.I. Packer, and it says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of this very topic we're going to talk about. And that will tell you everything. What is that all-important topic? It's adoption. Adoption. See, we talk a lot about justification and sanctification, rightfully so, right? Justification, that God declares us to be righteous, to be right with him. He declares that objective truth and reality of his children. And so we do spend a lot of time on that topic, but adoption has actually been said to be the apex of our salvation. Adoption is mentioned explicitly five times in the New Testament, once in Galatians, once in Ephesians that we read, and then three times in Romans. So the text we're going to look at this morning is actually in Romans chapter 8. This chapter in Romans chapter 8 is known as the chapter about the Holy Spirit. So it seems like maybe a weird place to go to talk about adoption. But while the chapter is much about the work of the Holy Spirit, the amount of family language used in this chapter gives us a context for the work of the Spirit in our lives. You have words like brothers and sons, children of God, the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father, heirs, firstborn among many brothers, are all used in this chapter on the Holy Spirit, giving us a context of much of what the Spirit's work really looks like it really is in our life. So this morning, we're going to focus on the Spirit's work, specifically in our life, and adopt through adoption. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, if you stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, we're only going to focus in on a couple of verses and things happening in our text, but i reading 12 through 17 for us to have some context. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Through the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, you can take your seat. Father, I do pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that you would not just grant us understanding, but grant us a sense of your love. Grant us a sense of who you are to us as our Heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So God as our Father is an idea that barely gets introduced in the Old Testament. It barely gets introduced. It does so through the mention about God being the Father to the nation, to the people of Israel. But no one dared to relate to God personally 
or address God as Father throughout the entire Old Testament. I mean, you have the biggest book of the Bible, the Psalms. And every situation, every emotion, and everything comes up in this book. And not once in all the crying out to him does anyone address God as Father. No, it's not until Jesus comes on the scene. Right? Only Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, is the one who teaches his disciples and teaches us to address God as our Father. See, when he teaches them, the disciples, to pray, it's the first and maybe the most important thing that he teaches them, to address God as our Father. But we are not naturally children of God. He made everything, and everything comes from God, but the children of God concept and idea that's in the Bible is much more intimate, much more close than that. We are naturally children of the devil and therefore enemies to God. So in order for us to become children of God, in order for us to be able to address him as our father, something had to happen. We had to be adopted into his family. Adoption It's not really a concept that you would find in the Jewish laws. But when the Roman law, adoption laws, came around, Paul found this to be a fitting metaphor to help describe our status and the privilege that Jesus has brought us into. You see, in the Roman adoption, the adoptee was taken out of their previous state and placed in a new relationship of a son to his father. Through this adoption, all the debts of the adoptee would be canceled. And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. A quick sidebar here that Paul, uh, in calling all of us sons of God, is actually not being sexist, despite what we may think. Um, What Paul is doing, the reason Paul does this, calls all of us sons of God, is because in Roman law, Daughters did not have the same privileges as sons. So if Paul were to say sons and daughters here in his context, then it would have weakened what he was trying and wanting to say about the status and security of all Christians, men and women. Paul is actually being radical here in his culture and his context by calling both men and women sons. He is saying that in Christ, All of us are elevated. All of us are elevated to the same level. There are no tears in the family of God. There are no second-class citizens in the family of God, even if the culture fails to recognize that reality. So Paul is calling us all sons to radically show that all of us are on the same plane, that all of us get elevated, men and women, no matter what the Christian says, or no matter what the culture says. So sidebar over, Uh, but Christians, you have been adopted. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted, and you've been given the status of a child of God. So what that means is your debt has been canceled, and your status is secure. This is something that you receive. So what does that mean? It means that it's a gift that is given to you. It's not something that is a wage. It's not something that you can earn. And so because you can't earn it, guess what? You can't lose it either. 
because he gives it to you, because it is a gift to be received, it is secure, and it cannot be changed, and it cannot be lost, no matter what you do, no matter how you feel. If you are in Christ, this is true of you. This is your status, period. God is your father. He is your dad. So part of the question for us this morning is, do you relate to him that way? Do you feel, do you relate to God as your father? Does the idea of God as your father capture your heart? Does it touch your emotions? Does it go to the core of how you see and view and relate to him? If you're like me, uh, not so much. Uh, Rather than faith like a child, uh, in this area, we tend to have a heart that's more like the prodigal son. Meaning we have a heart that's at best suspicious of our father's love. And at worst, completely doubts that a God who is love actually does love us. What drives the suspicion? What is it that stunts our ability to experience the certainty, the power, and the joy of our secured status as sons and daughters of God? Now, I need to say a word to people who have had bad fathers who struggle to believe this partly because of their own experience that Pete has mentioned earlier in the service. And the quick word is this. God is able and God will heal and reconstruct the father image for you. There is a hymn writer who had a notoriously bad father, and he wrote, he penned this about God. He said, Father like he tends and spares us. Well our feeble frame he knows. In his hand, he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. And while that may be a hindrance for you in understanding and relating to God as our Father, it doesn't go deep enough. Because I think all of us struggle at one level or another to relate to God as our Father. So what drives our prodigal heart suspicion? What stunts our ability to relate to him and experience his love as our heavenly father. Verse 15 of our passage, I think, points specifically to this issue. It shows us there are two spirits, right? One spirit is a spirit of slavery, and that spirit operates out of fear. And then there's another spirit, the spirit of adoption, which cries out instinctually, Abba, Father. Christians have received the spirit of adoption. True. So why do we, as our text says, fall back? Why do we fall back and operate and relate to God out of fear? Our status is secure, so why do we relate to God out of insecurity and fear? See, you might believe that you are saved and even forgiven, But you struggle to grasp the reality that you are now, currently, deeply, deeply loved. That he loves you now, not some future version of you. I think the reason why we struggle with this is because we tend to relate to God more as a judge than we do as a father. And in some ways this makes sense, right? Justification and even adoption are courtroom language. That's courtroom language that we use. And so, in some ways, it's understandable and makes sense. 
But God is the judge of the world. But what the Bible says, he is our father. What Jesus tells us and teaches us to address God as is not as our judge, but as our father. See, when we relate to God as judge primarily instead of father, we miss experiencing the love and joy that can only pour out of the heart of a father. A judge can declare someone to be innocent, but they don't have to love or even like the person to do so. When you relate to God as your judge, you get a suspicion that he is watching, that he is waiting for you to mess up, that he has his gavel in hand, and you wait to hear the sound come down on all of your sin, all of your neglect, all of your turning away from him. You get a sense that your interaction with him, if you relate to him as judge, is always formal, right? You kind of don't know how to pray because you have to dress it up in certain words. You're afraid of offending him rather than going to him freely. So your interactions are cold and distant and uncertain. A judge, in some sense, needs to withhold some of their emotions, right? Be dispassionate to make the right decision. They're only concerned with innocence or guilt, not really the person themselves. And we might not even be aware that we're relating to God this way. But when you pause and think about about it, you realize there is a low-level buzz of fear uh, in your relating and relationship to God. It's why we don't go to him right away when we sin. It's why we don't come to him initially with all of our needs and our feelings and our emotions. It's why I can go throughout an entire day talking about what's going on with me with so many different people and myself, and the last thing I think of is to go to my father in heaven, and he should be the first place I go with that. When you ask a Christian, what does it mean to be saved? Often what people answer and speak to is salvation only in negative terms. Here's what I mean. They talk about things like our debt being taken away. They talk about things like guilt and wrath being removed off of us, which is all true and it's all good news, but it's half of the equation. That speaks to what we are saved from. But the doctrine of adoption beautifully shines a light on what we are saved to. When we only focus on what we are saved from, we relate to God primarily as a judge. And our day-to-day Christian life becomes focused on us. Focus on our behavior. Focus on how we're doing spiritually. How we feel in the moment. And so our focus becomes on us, which robs us of the life-changing, adopting love of God. We become introspective and focus on our past failures. We focus on our current struggles. And what happens is we never look up and we never look out long enough to see the love in our Father's eyes, to feel the warmth of his embrace, to hear the sound of joy in his laughter. Listen, because we have been adopted... We don't just get our debt canceled, but we do. But as verse 17 tells us, we are now heirs. We are now heirs with Christ. So what does that mean? All that's true of him, everything that's true of Jesus, everything that he has done and that he has is now yours. All that is true of him, everything he has is yours too. So you're not just forgiven for your debt and your sins, but you are forgiven for that. 
But more than that, you're an heir with Christ now. You are given everything he has, everything he has earned. All that he has is ours. We are sons and daughters. There's a parable in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son or the two sons. And I think that shows what happens with the elder brother shows what happens when we relate to God more like a judge or like a boss as we're his higher servants than we do than when we relate to him as our father. You see, the elder brother at the end of this parable learns that his younger brother has returned and he's ticked. And he will not come into the party. He will not join in the party. And the father goes out to the elder brother to try to get him to come back in. And do you remember what the elder brother says to his father? I have slaved for you all these years. And you've never even given me a young goat. You gave my brother who left you a fattened calf. But you've never even given me a young goat. I have slaved for you. Who is he working for? It's not because of the love of his father. He's doing it for himself. Right? So what does the father say in return? He says, son, all that is mine is yours. It's always been that way. All that's mine is yours. So how does he get it wrong? How does the son fail to understand and grasp the reality of what is true and has always been true? Answer? He didn't understand the love and the heart of his father, just like the prodigal didn't, which is why he left in the first place. He didn't relate to his father as his loving father, but as a cruel boss that has to be appeased by doing the work right and never messing up. So we need to see what the elder son failed to. We need to see the love of our father Specifically, the love of our Father that's displayed in His Son, right? The Son of God. We need to see the love of what He did on the cross for you and for me. See, Jesus teaches us to say our Father because that is what He does and did throughout His entire life. He knew and displayed the heart of His Father, He addressed God as Father every single time he prays, every single time he calls out to him. Every single day of his life, he calls out and addresses him and says, Abba, Father, every single moment of his life except for once, right? Except one time. Only when Jesus was on the cross did he not cry out, Abba, Father. You know what he said? My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus, the true son, willingly lost his father's favor and his father's closeness, willingly did that for us. Why? Because that's what it took to adopt you and me. It took the son of God, the true son, losing the favor of his father to where in his deepest need, In his hardest time, he cries out, my God, my God, because he lost the closeness and he lost the favor of his father because he took our place. It is his work of love on the cross that causes us to become sons and daughters of God. 
See, the only begotten son took the status of an enemy so he could make enemies children of God. This is called the great exchange. This is the fullness of our salvation where he takes all of our sin, all of our shame on himself on the cross, which is why he doesn't call out, Abba, Father. And in turn, we get all of his blessing, all of his obedience, all of his righteousness, and all of his inheritance. The spirit of adoption comes to us because the finished work of Christ that was done on our behalf. You know, truthfully, I've struggled this week. I've struggled in preparing this sermon because I was understanding and studying the doctrine of adoption, but I was struggling to make it personal. I was struggling for it to feel, for it to be real. Um, doctrine can be a tricky thing like that, can't it? Because it can be something that we grasp. It can be something we understand. It can be something that even we teach others, but it's never meant to stay in the realm simply of our understanding. Doctrine, the doctrine of adoption, is always meant to be chewed on. It's always meant to be eaten and digested in such a way that it impacts the core of who we are. Part of the good news of adoption is that our status is secure and we are heirs with Christ no matter how we feel. Right? Part of the good news is that this is what's true. The new status has been given to it. Our debt truly has been canceled no matter how you feel for those who are in Christ. And so no matter what's going on in your heart right now, we have assurance. We have reasons for rest, reason and place you can find peace in this objective truth that you are in Christ. And because of that, you are a son and a daughter of God. And we can claim this no matter what's going on in our emotions. But our text doesn't leave us there. In verse 16, it says, the capital S spirit bears witness with our lowercase s spirit. What does it bear witness to? That we are children of God. Why? Because we are not just meant to understand our adoption. We are meant to experience it. And there is a sense to which we won't experience it fully until we see him face to face, but that we are meant to experience it now. The spirit of God witnesses to our spirit now. The adopting love of God is meant to transform us in the present. It's meant to continually transform us. There's a Puritan named Thomas Goodwin, and he shares a story where he sees a father and son walking along the street. Suddenly, the father swept up the son into his arms, hugged him, and kissed him, and told the boy how much he loved him. And then after a minute, he put the boy back down. Goodwin asked this question. Was the little boy more of a son in the father's arms than he was down on the street? How would you answer that? He goes on to answer his question and says, Objectively and legally, there was no difference. But subjectively and experientially, there was all the difference in the world. In his father's arms. In his father's arms, a boy was experiencing his sonship. This is what the father does with us. This is what the spirit does with the a doctrine of adoption to us. 
See, we don't need new information. We don't need new doctrine. What we need is the information that we already know to make us new. What we need is the doctrine and the information that we already know to renew us from the inside out. That is what the Spirit of God does in our life with adoption. That's what this text is telling us, and that's what happens. He secures our status, yes, but more than that, he causes us to experience it. He causes us to experience our adoption, to experience that God's love and grace are not just some doctrines or concepts to be understood, but they are a person with whom we have been united and with whom we are now heirs. We experience this reality of our adoption when we go to our Father in need. That is the Spirit witnessing to our spirit when we do that. When we cry out to him in the midst of our need, in the midst of our sin, the Spirit is witnessing to your spirit. We experience this truth when we long for our struggle with sin to be over. We long for the day to see him face to face. We experience this reality of our adoption when we believe that we are forgiven, that we are loved and cherished by God our Father. We experience the reality of our adoption when we actually start to think about others and their needs and stop being so consumed with ourselves. We experience the reality of our adoption when we forgive other people, when we love other people, particularly maybe people that don't believe the same thing we do. These are signs of the transforming spirit of God's adopting love in your life. But don't mishear me because the key is not to focus on those things. Those are signs. Those are pointers. Those evidence and fruit. But they're signs where the focus is where, what produces those things. Focusing on God's adopting love from our Father are the things that will produce those signs in our life. Those things are not the, it's the fruit of the reality of what the Spirit is already doing. You know, it's something that I haven't thought much about prior to this week uh, that another pastor pointed out, and it just kind of struck me. Uh, Jesus experienced adoption. You ever think about that? He experienced adoption as well. Joseph was actually Jesus' adopted father. So the father... Our heavenly father allowed his son to be adopted so that his son could purchase our adoption. Isn't that amazing? That the father allowed his son to be adopted so that he could purchase the adoption of us into his family. And he did that knowing what it meant. He did that knowing who he would be getting. He did that knowing the sin that we have in our life. He did that knowing that that means that Jesus would have to go to the cross and on there lose his favor and endure the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. He did it knowing he would lose the embrace of his father so that you and I never will. There's a story, um, man, these stories are getting me today. <laughs> um, there's a story of a family who adopted a little girl from overseas. And no matter how much the dad did for this girl, 
He loved her so much, and he tried to do everything he could. No matter what he did, the little girl could not bring herself to say, Daddy. Until one day. One day she comes to him, and she says, Daddy, my shoelace is broken. And he would have bought Nike for her (laughs) when she did that. The longing to hear that from his daughter. To finally come in her moment of need. See, the picture that this shows us is that because our Father loves us, he loves when we cry out to him. He loves when when the children come to him and say, Father, Daddy, help me. I have this issue. I need you in this. And so that's the simple exhortation of our passage. That's a simple exhortation for you to not fall back in the spirit of fear, but cry out to him when you fear. Cry out to him in the state that you are. Cry out to him today and tomorrow and then next week and keep doing it. And as you do, the spirit of God witnesses to your spirit that you are his, that you are a child of God, that you have been adopted. And so praise him for those promises and for that truth. Ask him to give you eyes to see the beauty once again displayed in Jesus. Ask him to make the reality of what we know about our adoption not something we need to add to our knowledge, but something that would make us new from the inside out. Meditate on your adoption. Meditate on the one who willingly became adopted in order to purchase the adoption for you and me. Amen.